Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're good. If you're new, welcome to the show. Glad you could be a part of it. Uh, if you've been here for ages, thanks for being with me. Uh, this is a show I do every week and uh, just try and talk to people, connect with people, have a chat with people. Uh, it's been a heck of a week. Heck of a week. Uh as you no doubt know, in January, we will have a new president of the United States of America, Donald Trump. Uh, less than 5% of the population of the world decided how a lot of the world is going to go when they voted. And uh, pretty much, you know, lefties everywhere freaked the fuck out. Uh, I, for one, for the first couple of hours, I was I was really sad about it. I was really freaked out about it. I, It made me despair for a while and it it made me feel really alone and, you know, I'm shit. I'm a white straight man. <laughs> this is what it feels like to have the world not listen to your wishes. Anyway, it did make me lament a bit that while the right end of politics has been mobilising those in the middle class for years by peddling an idea that they and only they can protect you from a frightening thing, whether or not that frightening thing is is real or something they made up, or something they created. Um, the left have been trying to appeal, while the right have been doing that, the left have been trying to appeal to a sense of reasonable consideration in everyone, including those on the opposite side. But that seems to have stopped working. And uh, I don't know, my first thoughts about it are that the left really need to figure out how to talk to the middle class, how to speak to a people who are afraid of change. 
afraid of things progressing. You know, they have to organise and stop fucking shooting themselves in the foot all the time, which happens so much to lefties. I don't know why. They can't just really get the shit together. I mean, it's also a time to really have a look at ourselves because that stuff can happen here. You know it can. If you are the kind of person that instantly calls someone who votes, let's say, for an example, in the States you'd call it a Republican, but in Australia you'd call it the Coalition. If you instantly call someone who votes for the Coalition a racist or a right-wing nut job, I'm, you're kind of a part of why things are not working because that person might not be racist, but that party represents more of what they believe in than the other party and they're taking the good with the bad or the bad with the good. The moment you call them a racist, they're like, well, fuck you, and they just push themselves further away. But on the other side, if you're someone who calls anyone who's marginally centrist or indeed lefty a social justice warrior just because they don't think like you, then you're a part of the problem too. We're all humans, man. We're all scared of scary stuff because scary stuff is scary. But I will tell you that we're all going to be okay. We are. When you think about it, the world has never been more prosperous, never been more peaceful, and we've never been more clever than we are today. We're smarter than we've ever, ever been, despite what your TV and your Facebook feed is telling you the world is actually a much more peaceful place, far more peaceful place than it's ever been in the entirety of human history. And while I'm speaking about that, while I'm ranting... um, do yourself a favour, get off Facebook, just, you don't need it. Google up an image. It was particularly, I haven't been on it for a while. I check a, a work one occasionally, but um, Google up an image of what a news feed of a Democrat looked like and what a news feed of a Republican looked like after the election result. Um, it was a pretty popular story this week. So that's look, look, looking at a screenshot of what mostly right-wing people saw on the newsfeed and mostly left-wing people saw on their newsfeed. Just through the different things that you like, Facebook decides that you're either a lefty or a righty and have a look at what their newsfeeds look like at the exact same time. If you are only getting your news on Facebook or you check Facebook hourly, minute, every minute, every 10 minutes, you're just being fed an endless feedback loop of echoing political viewpoints that will only spin you in circles until you're dizzy. Just dizzy with fear and just emboldened by righteousness about how much better you are than other people. Fuck, man. Just don't look at it. Try it. Just just stop it. Just stop. Do a week without it. Do a week without it. Notice how much time you still have in your day. You'll be like, wow, I've got all this time to like work out and see my friends and family or whatever. And you can still be in touch with people. You can just call them an email and text them. All that stuff you can still do. And while the world watched Donald Trump become president of the US, I watched a removal truck that's just dropped all of our stuff into a new house because we just moved. I watched a removal truck pull out of our driveway. Hey, Frankie. But hey, oi, Frankie, I'm telling him about the removalist. Remember those guys? He can't speak English. He's a dog. But yeah, I watched this removal truck pull out of the driveway and I just stood there and I just watched them move this truck this with this huge Pantec on it, the big thing in the back where they put all the furniture and stuff. I've got this skinny street where I live now. And while I thought the world would come to an end last night, and like a lot of me, 
I, I, I felt completely hopeless, like I described earlier. I felt really hopeless and that my influence, that I had no influence on the outcomes of, of what the world would do, and I was actually really worried, truly scared for a little while. And if I was anything but a straight white man, I'd be fucking terrified. And, you know, like a lot of people were worried. I was also worried. But I felt stunned and kind of freaked out and that I had no ability to influence any outcome of what was happening overseas. I never have been able to. I don't know why. But as I watched this truck turn out of my driveway with all this stuff flying around my head, I watched them collect a branch on the lovely old eucalyptus tree in front of my new building and then proceed to rip pretty much the entire tree out of the ground with an enormous crack and then they just drove off as the tree fell down behind their truck, narrowly missing some parked cars, and the tree blocked the road and the driveway to my new building. So the way that I meet my new neighbours for the first time is that we are all out there in the rain, mind you, in the street trying to figure out how to get this tree out of the way so it doesn't block the road for all of us. Hi, how you doing? I'm Osho. Yeah, uh, I hired those guys that just destroyed this tree. I said that a couple of times. Now, what was really lovely is that the bloke downstairs was kind enough to come out and help, and the guy down the road lent me his handsaw, and before you knew it, my immediate community, the world I live in, the things that surround me, my immediate community went from one of fear and isolation where I was so worried to one that I could completely embrace because we all worked together to cut this tree up, to pick it up off the road, to move it out of the way. My father-in-law came down, four different men from four different ethnic backgrounds, at least two of us immigrants, all working together to make our community a better place and therefore our world as we perceived it. And I walked back upstairs feeling a lot better because while I can't actually influence any political process outside my own vote in this country, what I can do and what we can all do is work with the people around us our neighbours, in our street, in our immediate community to make the world that surrounds us, that rubs up against us, a better place and therefore we'll feel less afraid no matter what Tracy Grimshaw is telling us to be afraid of tonight. That's right, Frankie. And if enough of us do that, if enough of us, enough of us work together and take the time to know each other, then that's, that's us truly taking the power into our, into our own hands and, and, and truly changing the world. So I'm going to try and do that a lot more because I swear to God, I really, I was freaking out. And then the universe just has a way of going, it's cool, man. Here, have this experience. This will change your mind. And yeah, this show is brought to you by the wonderful people who support this show at patreon.com slash osher, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash O-S-H-E-R. If you pledge as little as five bucks a month, you get access to exclusive episodes. Uh, this money helps me and has helped me bring this show to you in 2016. Uh, without you who are listening that have pledged money to keep the show up, there would be no show, quite simply. I'm able to uh, hire my producer, Andy, who uh, makes it all happen. Um, it really helps out the show. You can also help out the show if you can't afford five bucks. That's fine. What I would love it if you have the opportunity to go off to iTunes and leave a review I give out 
once a week. Whenever I do this bit, I give out the current set of exclusive episodes to one person who's left a review on the iTunes page as a thank you. And the winner this week is Washlerv, W-A-S-H-L-R-V. If that's you, send me an email. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com. This is probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said about my show. It's entitled one word, subscribe. It's like reading a New Yorker piece or watching a Louis Thoreau documentary. These interviews go deep in a refreshing and genuine way. I've really enjoyed hearing the stories and perspective of Osher's guests. It's great to hear quality Australian broadcasts. That is, mate, we had ratings in radio this week and, uh, Honestly, that's much better news than I got in the radio rating. So that's really sweet. Thank you so much. Send me an email, send us your email at gmail.com, and I will uh, get those episodes to you. Thanks to everybody that um, sent a podsy in this week, uh, hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. Um, I'm pretty sure I was the first person to use that word, uh, which I talk, talked about talked about when I went and spoke with Dr. Carl this week. He is the exclusive episode that is coming out in the coming days. If you have been a Patreon subscriber, you will get access to that episode with Dr. Carl as soon as it goes up. I will send you an email and let you know. Um, But just to give you a bit of a taste, a bit of a taste, a bit of a teaser, a bit of incentive to perhaps try and uh, get you to maybe throw a few shekels our way, um, here is the first, I guess, you know, eight to ten minutes of my conversation with Dr. Carl. So have a listen to this. This is what's going to be the exclusive episode that comes out this week. This is me and Dr. Carl saying hello and talking about his latest book, The Doctor. It's his 40th book as we talk about the scientific wonderment of making a cup of coffee. So we're rolling. How are you, Carl? Uh, very good, Dr. Osher. Asher, Osher. Osher. O-S-H-E-R. Hebrew for happiness. How long, how old is that name? How old is it? Yeah, it was the first recorded writing of it. Oh, I couldn't, probably a long time ago. Thousands? Easily. Somebody was calling their baby happiness. Yeah. Oh. No, no. And you kept but on I've only tradition. had it for a couple of years. I changed it, if you recall. To Osher. It was from- Andrew. Ah. And I changed it to Osher. Because you want to be happy. Uh, yeah, at the time there was a lot of that going on and also nominative determinism is a very interesting thing. Well, it's a coincidence, but it's fun. It's a what? It's a coincidence. Well, well, it didn't start off as a coincidence. How's that? Didn't you read this in my fourth book? <laughs> I've, I've, you're over 20 now. So. 40. Over 40. I've just finished book number 40. Book so number 40. Um, what happened was a study found that people who are called Smith, which means blacksmith, big mm-hmm. burly fellow, in Germany... Um, on average, they were one kilogram heavier than people called Schneider, German word meaning tailor. Now, think about the build. Big, burly person, whereas somebody who'll sit there cross-legged, you know, mm. sewing delicately. And back about 600 years ago, at least in Western Europe, people had only one name. You were John. You know, if you had two, three or John or Andrews in, in the village, it was no big deal. There was Big John or Little John or mm-hmm. whatever. But then... The government wanted to start taxing people and you couldn't say, no, that's the John that owes you the tax. So they started naming people after their jobs. Ah. So with regard to, for example, working with arrows, bows and arrows. Oh, my God, there was Fletcher and uh-huh. Arrow and Arrowsmith. Fletcher is the little um, feathers that are on the tail. Bowsmith, Bowman, Bow, etc. And so Blacksmith and Schneider got their names. And hence there is some degree of nominative determinism back then, which 
even over the generations from 600 years ago has held through today. But um, in general, there's not that much. Well, it worked for me. So, but I'm a sample size of one. And you do with your sir, with your, with your first name, not not your last name. That's correct. Okay, right. Okay. So tell me, let's get it. Let's get straight to it. Tell me mm. about this new book. Ah, uh, book, book. This is book number forty. Fantastic. Um, and it's got a couple of things in it you should know. Like I figured you should know about gravitational waves, because they could give us the hoverboard. We've just found these things. The gravitational waves. Yeah. Yeah. One and a half. One point four billion light years ago. One point four billion light years away. Two black holes, about 30 masses of the sun, each slammed into each other and made a bigger black hole, which was three times the mass of the sun lighter than the original two put together. In the instant of collision, they were travelling towards each other at half the speed of light and... And here comes the coffee break. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I will say there, there is something about the smell of a gas stove mixed with the salt air from the sea and the whistling of a kettle that makes me feel immediately cosy. Oh. Home is where the heart is. Yeah. Okay, so we're boiling, we're, we've boiled the water. You, you pre-boil the water. Pre-boil, pre-boil the water. the water so that it's hot when it goes into the atomic coffee maker. Yeah. And this is an old machine, which nowadays are about $1,000, but I bought a couple of them for 30 bucks way back when. This is an ye, ye oldie espresso maker that it looks like a, almost like an old telephone where the rotary dial was on the bottom of the phone yeah. and the hand, the receiver was at your ear. Okay, so that's now running. And so you heat up the water and here we come back again. And that, so it's going to express. So the, it'll um, heat up the water, which is already hot at 100 degrees C, but it's lost some of its temperature, and heat energy into warming up the aluminium, or aluminum as the Americans foppishly call it. And then the water will turn into steam, and the steam will force its way through the coffee, extracting some of the delicious coffee goodness, which proves that God exists, but that's another story. Moving right along <laughs> back to the um, uh, black holes colliding. So... They're orbiting each other, these black holes, at 75 times a second. And in the moment of collision, they're getting closer, they are travelling at half the speed of light. These are not light, inconsequential sewing machine parts. These are things, each of them, about 30 times the mass of the sun. And when they hit and they give off energy, they evaporate away three times the mass of the sun in some incredibly small moment of time. They put out 50 times more energy than all the stars in the entire known universe put together for that brief instant. That's a, a lot. A lot. If you were right there at the side, at the side it would have stretched your body and compressed it. And so you would have gone from two metres tall to four metres tall, then half a metre tall, um, as, as the very fabric of space-time distorted. Wow. Now we've got to talk about the fabric of space-time. So you've got the three space dimensions, which are backwards, forwards, left, right and up, down. Mm-hmm. And you've also got the other dimension, which is time, which ticks along at one second per second. And according to Einstein, and nobody's ever proved him wrong, um, he, they are in, intricately welded and webbed together. They are interwoven so tightly. They're all a single unit. And think about the rubber sheet and you've got a bowling ball on the rubber sheet um, and it makes a dent. And you squirt a marble onto that rubber sheet and the marble would have gone into a straight line but because the uh, the big bowling ball making a dent, it curves around. Well, that's the Earth curving around the sun. So all these things, we were talking about a fabric of space-time having a dent in it. So I'll give you a 
a great insight now in three words, which took me years to learn. Gravity is geometry. So if you've got a dent in the fabric of space-time, that's gravity. Mm-hmm. That's what gravity... And how do you make a dent? Well, normally by piling a whole lot of mass together, but more, more on that at the end of this little story. And so <laughs> the um, ripple then spreads out in all directions, and by the time it gets to us, it's able to create a change in length across four kilometres of one-thousandth of the diameter of a proton which is some incredibly small fraction of a nucleus, which is one ten-thousandth of the diameter of an atom. And we humans can measure that. Wow. We humans can measure, in fact, one-tenth of the diameter of a proton, a change of that much. And to do that, we had to invent special technologies. The whole thing took a century. It was a grand endeavour by us humans. It took a century to come up with the idea with Einstein. He then worried whether he was right or wrong. And then further down the line, he said, OK, I'm right. And other people said, everybody said, you'll never be able to prove it, maybe. And then finally, you need somebody as brilliant as Richard Feynman to come up with his sticky beat experiment and say, yeah, theoretically, you could measure it. And then it took another 40 years to actually measure it, and we've got it. And so the gravitational wave ripples through the Earth. And, and, and to do it, the scientists at CSIRO were the only ones, the scientists at Linfield, they were the only ones who could get a 40-kilogram mirror and make it and treat it like a quantum device. In other words, something lighter than a proton. Bugger. And you know how we reward them? We fire them. That's what CSIRO is happening at the moment. This is the Australian Science Research Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organisation, currently run by an entrepreneur from California, an ex-Australian, who accepts the, inverted commas, science of water dowsing and under his watch has fired one quarter of the scientists at CSIRO. Oh. Right. Um, it's a shame, <laughs> but you, you get a hangman and, and they hang people. Right. That, that's what... Anyway, so moving right along. So what we have done is now prove that we can measure gravitational waves. The next step is obvious. Make gravitational waves. Uh-huh. We've got no idea. The right. only way we can... So firstly, to make gravity, mm-hmm. you just pile a whole lot of matter together and it makes a dent in the fabric of space-time. And then if you want to make a gravitational wave, you then move that dent in the fabric of space-time. Awfully cumbersome thing... Our children and their children will work out a way Mm -hmm. to make gravitational wave and then finally the great moral issue of all times will be resolved. When will we have the hoverboard? Right. Because then we can float on a hoverboard. Then we can float. Once we can can surf the gravitational wave. Yeah, and this happened on the 14th of September. You know what happened on the 14th of September also? Uh, The ex-Prime Minister Tony Abbott got booted out uh, in the background. Ah. I'm hearing the coffee. Uh, keep them happy. This so, is, uh, so this is water changing state yeah. into so steam. And it's forced its way through. So what we've done now is we've created a fissure in the coffee goodness. So what you've got here is the um, uh, best coffee. Oh, that smells so good. But, but the stuff coming through is water. This time here, it's forced its way through a fissure. It's created a fissure. And I'm not going to drink that low-grade coffee. Oh, oh I see. Grade. Right. I'm having the first flush. <laughs> And so there's stories in the book um, about, here we go. You're not having any? You've already had no, I've, I'm, I'm already well caffeinated, thank you. So that is just a little taste of the exclusive episode coming up with Dr. Carl. His 40th book, The Doctor, is out now wherever you buy books. He is the best guy ever. I went to his house. He showed me his solar system and his water system, and I got super jealous because I've just moved into an apartment and I cannot put either of those things here. But 
you know, we'll figure it out. Speaking of books, uh, my guest today has just released a book. Uh, just released a book, and I am so stoked that he could come over to the house to talk about it. My guest today is Deng Adut. When war came to his village in South Sudan, Deng was taken from his mother, taken from his mother by rebels and forced to fight in the Sudanese People's Liberation Army and he was just six years old when this happened. His book is called Songs of a War Boy and in his book Deng describes in chilling detail the life of a child soldier which includes, as you'd probably expect, horrific first-hand accounts, eyewitness accounts of battle, torture, death, and the kind of dehumanising barbarism that only humans inflict on other humans. And he, he talks a bit about that. He talks about, you know, he said, you don't see animals behaving like that. You, you'll hear about it later in the show. This was his life. You look at kids, you know, watching ABC Kids and, you know, learning how to, I don't know, unlock their parents' iPhones. But this was his life and he was given an AK-47, which is bigger than him at the time. But when he was 12, Deng was rescued. He was rescued by his older brother and then smuggled out of Sudan into Kenya where him and his brother met an Australian couple that helped the two of them come to Australia and start a new life. Deng is now a lawyer here in Sydney. He took the time on a warm Friday afternoon in November to come out to the apartment and have a chat with me. Now, Deng's story is familiar with many Australians because he featured in a University of Western Sydney commercial that chronicled his journey. So he and I didn't talk too much about the story that's already been told. I've just told you, I guess, what you need to know to guess where he's coming from when he talks about his views on the planet and the world. So we talked about the US election. He and I talked about happiness. We talked about Africa. And he shared a bit of light on what it's like to live with the constant threat of death being moments away every single minute of the day. There's some heavy conversation in this episode, as you'd probably expect. However, it's kind of unavoidable when you're talking with someone who was a child soldier in a rebel army in one of the more horrible conflicts in recent history. So with that being said, I promised you there's redemption at the end of this if you get through the grisly bits. Um, it's okay when we get to the end. You can follow Deng on Instagram. It's his name, D-E-N-G-A-D-U-T. He's do it because he's a breathtakingly handsome man. He really is a good-looking guy, and he has a slick sense of style. He turned up to my house looking like he just stepped out of a GQ editorial shoot. The guy is so fashionable and, can, man, he's a good-looking fellow. And I was there in shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> but come now to my apartment in uh, Bronte, where I live with my family, um, and have a cup of coffee at my dining room table, which is also my kitchen table because it's the same room. Uh, come and have a cup of coffee with a lovely man who's a lawyer, an author, a former refugee, and a one-time child soldier, Deng Adut. Hey, Deng, how you doing? Oh, I'm feeling great. I can see waters, yeah. Yeah, we just moved in. <laughs> we just moved in. We see the ocean from here, mm. which is nice. 
and a good uh, balcony too, mate. Um, yeah, a little one. The removalists, though, and your way out, you'll see there's a tree in front of my building. <laughs> the removalists were coming out when they were leaving and they collected half of this tree, ripped it down and then kept driving and then the whole tree fell into the street and blocked the driveway. So when I, when I met my neighbours for the first time, it was, hi, I'm new, I'm Osher, and yeah. I just destroyed the tree from yeah. in front of them. It's not so bad, is it? It's not so bad. It's not so bad. Thanks so much for coming over, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. What part of Sydney are you in? I am originally from Blacktown. Got it. And I stay in Redfin sometime, and, but Blacktown is my main home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is this where you're living at the moment? Uh, I, I, I live in two different places. Oh, me Actually, too. Actually, the third one too. Oh, right on. I live uh, here and I also go to Brisbane. Yeah, um, I have a radio show that I do. I do up in Brisbane. Yeah, I do have uh, uncle family in in Stone of Garden as well. Uh-huh. So sometimes I can stay in Redfern for a day. Yeah, Blacktown for a couple of days. Cool man. Uh, stay for a day. Sometimes I'm not even home, <laughs> and they say, "Where are you?" And then I say, "The usual." <laughs> what I mean, <laughs> I don't know the usual place. Yeah. Almost, uh, so every time I do a few things to do in around Blacktown, I stay in Blacktown. Uh-huh. In Redfin, you stay in Redfin. I do have office in Redfin as well, so uh, it's good to good to have a different different uh, place. Yeah. Live in different places so that you can have a different different winds. Sydney is toxic sometimes. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it can be. It's nice to be here by the uh, by the sea. I lived in I lived in North America. Lived in Los Angeles for a bunch of years. It's dirty. I remember I was I was detained at L.A. airport, and when we got out, uh, people were like, "Oh, L.A. L.A. was good," but no, no, not close to Sydney. Sydney is the best. Yeah, compare. Oh. Seriously, is that a, is that a, is an is an issue when you travel? Do do you often get to visit the little room? Oh, no, 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 I haven't been there yet. <laughs> That's why I uh, said that uh, I'm not going for a holiday to any country. I haven't been to any country for a holiday. I've been to South Sudan to go and see my mother, and that is just not a holiday yeah. a visit. But I promised myself if I want to go for a holiday first, I need to visit some places first in Australia mm-hmm. before I make a move to go for a holiday somewhere a, so, lot of, a lot of Australians wouldn't do that. A lot of Australians go overseas before they see their own country. Ah, no, no. It's, it's not, not cool. Not cool. Because what are you going to talk about about Australia <laughs> to other people over there? What are you going to tell them? It's, you got to say, oh, yeah, we have. I've been to Huluru, uh, Fraser Island. I've been to Tahoe in Northern Territory. And uh, I haven't been to, uh, to a certain rocks or something like that. And uh, to places like Three Sisters and see them and in Blue Mountain. And then you go for a holiday to look at different countries and you haven't seen your country. Nah, not good, not cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. You know, it's important to understand where, where you come from and, you know, and the issues around the country and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what goes on and certainly what other people think of, of your country. Is, uh, it's kind of interesting at the moment, particularly with North American election. 
Mm. Um, you know, people are like, I can't believe that he's going to deport these people and he's going to kick these people out. I'm like, man, we put children in prison <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> It's not fun. Uh, We're not yeah. very good over here. Uh, yeah, it's quite funny when you say that. Um, yeah, uh, look, American politics concern everyone. Mm. You know, they concern everyone. And when we just coming on by taxi, I said uh, I believe Donald Trump's a lot about what he's going to do, uh, and all the policies that he wanted to deliver, he would deliver them, and. I believe him you will do that. And the bad part about this, uh, this belief is the fact that they will be true. This thing, they will be really, you will carry them out. Look, the guy is rich, got his own money, bang, he's full, uh, haven't paid, smart enough not to pay tax for a long time, <laughs> president too, smart enough, yes. So he's smart enough to let the Mexico deal the, that war and without paying for it. He could do that. People didn't believe him that he would win. But his drive uh, were exceptional and sense of, of, uh, of mobilizing so much uh, people in the country were just uh, mind-blowing and everyone should just say yes, that's a democracy. When democracy speaks uh, well, we have to accept that decision, with, even though morally you would have some reservation. Well, uh, the numbers rules, and that is important. And, and, and whether you will follow the de democratic principle, such as upholding the rule of law, not to lock people up, not to torture people up, and not to deport people uh, without uh, looking at uh, their paperwork properly, or try to lock up Hillary, and not <laughs> and not be able to, uh, to, to 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 give her a fair go, fair chance to be able to answer those those things, and also to threaten somebody prematurely that you are not even being elected, you are not in a power, and to say that you're gonna lock the person up, you are not even a boss. Now he's the boss. Let's see what is he going to do with all those. And I said he's rich. He got his own jet. He doesn't need an Air Force One, does he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I think he'll take that. I think he'll go on Air Force One. And then he will have two. <laughs> then he will have two. So, <laughs> yeah, so I don't does know. A, he's the German. A, as, as someone who's seen, you know, charismatic leaders do horrible things with power, does it make you worried? Oh, I'm worried about him. I am. Uh, look. The guy is real. He's quite realistic in how he look at certain issues. It's how he, they approach the procedure that he will utilize to arrive. That's what worried me. See, the guy bankrupt nine times, right, or something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Well, he's going to uh, put America into a trial, like a trial and error, and bankrupt America nine times, and he, maybe he will succeed at that old. But I know he would succeed. He could cause a lot of trouble, financial issues, but eventually he will bounce back and become Trump again, maybe become, make America rich again. His dreams, he's dreaming big. He would take any risk to bring America to a position. So he's under days. 
even though they're not realistic, I still believe that he could achieve most of these things. What about the people that felt they never had a voice and then now he's saying these, for me, uh, frightening, uh, divisive things about um, Islam, about same-sex marriage, about minorities, about Hispanics, and there's all these angry white guys who've gone, hang on, yeah, that's right, fuck that guy, fuck this person, I'm going to go get my fucking gun. And you're already reading about some of these things, you know, happening and, you know, people afraid to wear the, um, the hijab outside mm. and, and things like this. Well, uh, that's what they call terrorism. Yeah. That's the definition of terrorism. You terrorize people already. Mentally, they're unsafe. So you already make everyone terror, uh, terrorized. And then that's exactly what Donald Trump has done. Mm. Um, uh, what I'm saying is, I don't think anyone can be ignorant to say that there, will, there are no issues, there are issues going on now. Country is divided uh, badly somehow. But it doesn't give anyone a right uh, <laughs> to go over there and try to cause a war, to go and shoot somebody. It doesn't give you a right to go and do that. So all these issues, they become a personal issues and, and the law have to apply because that, that's not a way to go forward. That's not democratic principle because you accept defeat. And Hillary uh, accepted defeat with grace too. Mm. Great, great way of uh, looking at her approach, even though uh, she was a bit tough on how the process of democratic principle should be uh, applied because mm. the way she did it, she said it, it was a little bit you could be suspicious about her intention, basically, in that. But again, you can't interpret somebody's intention. Uh, uh, I said, Trump shocked me in a lot of ways, positive and negative. He's, he had a drive to get there. He got there. Hillary spent $450 million to, to get the number of votes in terms of advertising. Uh, Trump is half of that. See, he did a great saving. Mobilized a big number. Mm. And the number of people that voted for him, uh, I, I read the news, I don't know whether it's right or not, but he, he exceeded the number of uh, people that voted for uh, President Obama. So have a look at that. that just judge that from, from a, from a two-party principle, which I, I still don't believe in two parties, mm. uh, having to run the country for the next 100 years or 200 years. It's, I don't call it a democracy. There have to be more parties yeah. that will have to step in, in, in on a thing. And not, not, not two. You don't have a choice. If you give me a coffee, you give me a coffee and there's tea and there is uh, other drinks, hmm. I have more choices. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm given only the coffee and the tea, I just have to pick one. Yeah. You just have to pick one. And that, that is not a right pick, but again... It's important to exercise your vote, and the number of people that voted for Trump is also negative on his side. If he doesn't deliver the message mm. that so six million people, people. <laughs> well, somebody got to do something stupid. Yeah, yeah we're going to do something stupid to him from his own side. Mm. So it's only protection is is for American to look at themselves and say, look. Uh, you try to vote, it wasn't rigged, 
was fair election. Mm. So accept the loss and work together. Yeah. And uh, that is entirely up to them. And uh, this, I don't think it should be a, it's a little bit of business as, as a ally. Yeah. But looking at it, it will affect us somehow. Yeah. And whether we, is somebody's opinion, whether we should be uh, supporting America. Certainly, it's, mate, a, it's so a political issue, nothing to do with the, with, the, with us as Australian. Uh, I think so. Well, with, it certainly made me have a think about how Australia has, uh, since World War II, uh, been following the Americans' lead in many ways and sometimes looks to America for permission, you know, is it okay if we if we do this? Where in many ways our society here, we're lucky enough to have things like universal health care, you know, things like uh, yes, you know, you know, like there's more than two parties, like legitimately, yeah. there's four, four, five legitimate parties. Yeah. That, that I mean, there's probably hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, what do you think about what this says for the future of you know Australia and how Australia looks at America? Mm. Um, my way of thinking may be a little bit premature. I don't know whether it will help or not. It's okay. Well, we have a lot of uranium, right? Yeah. And uranium is used for making nuclear bomb. Yeah. And a nuclear energy. If a you want. Energy. Yeah. Well, we we got everything. <laughs> we got everything. We got everything to protect ourselves as a country. If we look at our future, we shouldn't be defending. On though the America, they're too far, far away mm-hmm. from from here, from direct Asia. So we are here, and all of them. In if you go to other countries, China, and not very far away, North Korea or South Korea, North Korea, they all uh, and uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. Japan. Most of these countries they got nuclear bombs, and we are allies to U.S. and we're close to them. So we have to think about our security, whether we have a good relationship with them here mm-hmm. or make ourselves more independent country, mm-hmm. more doesn't depend on anyone. And of course, we don't need uh, uh, support, financial support from other countries. We don't. They need it. Uh, maybe we should just double or triple the price of uh, uranium and see whether, and I still to iron ore, double yeah. the price. Uh, we double the price. They let them go somewhere, but where will they go? We can keep reserve, keep keep them, stock what we got, because we we are great nation, and we shouldn't be relying on uh, on on America. And especially look at the uh, Medicare system. He's going to uh, appeal. Uh, I'm talking about Trump. He's going to appeal the Medicare system. There, they already. Uh, helping 20 million, uh, 20 million people around the country. 20 million people that are getting benefit. Well, if we uh, take Trump as our friend, what is going to happen to our Medicare here? Are we not going to approach the same same way? Is not is Medicare is it not on a ballot? Just like Obama said, my <laughs> I'm not on a ballot. Mm. Uh, what is on a ballot is a, demo, a democratic principle. Mm. Well, Australia. Is on a ballot in terms of that, in terms of being able to, to, to be close allies with a man that want to subdistract, mm. uh, subdistract the country. There's a lot of people in this country that resonated with a lot of things that he was saying though about, um, about immigrants, 
about people coming from other countries to be in America. Now, I'm, I'm an immigrant to Australia, but people don't care because I'm white. Um, my parents are both refugees at one point. What would you like people in Australia to know about uh, immigration? Oh, well, look, for me, uh, I, I can answer that question differently. Mm-hmm. And my answer is, could be completely different from um, what you just said. Uh, and this is how Australia should perceive other migrants. Uh, when I came here, I had a family that sponsored me. They were Australian, white. All right? I mean white, they were white people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm black, right? Yeah? Yes? Do we agree on black? We do. Good. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm the, from the face of the planet, I'm one of the darkest people, darkest people in Africa. So we, we, we have a darker skin. And being dark skin and this white woman uh, helped me to come to this country. What were her, were her intention to make me somebody lesser human or to give me a life to be a human or to give me opportunity that I got that far uh, to even go to university and, and study in Western Sydney. Uh, and what did this woman do to me? She, she was a mother. I was just like her son. So the way we treat other people, if we try to be kind, just like that woman that didn't see anything wrong with me, and then we can be all cool with each other. We can be cool. I, I use the word cool because cool is cool. It makes me smile and make everybody smile. That is how we can build a nation together. Mm-hmm. And if we talk about immigrants, well, let's talk about Adam and Eve. Where did they, where did they start from? For those who, read, who are Christians, where did they originate from? They originated in Africa, that's what people say, right? Garden of Eden or other places. And then we modify. Have we not migrated from where we mm-hmm. first started? Yeah. So we migrated already from that point. And when you go, when you just keep going to migrate and build and you migrating further, whatever happened to you, whether you use whatever means to get there, you're still a migrant mm-hmm. to that place. Whether there were no people there, you're still a migrant. And we are all migrants on the face of this earth, all of us. And one day, our spirit will migrate with us if we die. So we can't talk about all these possessions that we, we got, and we possess certain piece of land, piece of, of clothing or other items or objects that will not go with us. It is quite cruel that anything physical that we can reflect back and memorize it, have a memory, a good memory, and leave it behind. That is something that we want to destroy. I'm talking about human, Hmm. humanity. That is the only thing that is meaningful. If it isn't meaningful, then what is meaning to you about the object, the gold, the gold watch you have, I have in my hand when when I'm dead? Will I know who got it? Would anyone go Go, go follow me and say, yes, uh, Deng, your watch has gone to your sister. 
will I know that person there? Well, we will perceive that is exactly what's going to happen, but we don't know. So things that we know we can fix while we're still alive are the most important things we can fix. And I think that we won't fix after we're dead. What good are they to us? Because we won't know what will happen to them. And that is what we should all be struggling to understand, that uh, all the problems that we have in the world, we created it against each other, and we're doing that against each other for, then we for have, nothing. But then we have to look at ourselves and take responsibility. It's so much easier when I get to blame someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if they look different from me. Yes. <laughs> and a, a friend of mine said before, said, every time you point your finger at somebody, like I'm just pointing a finger at you now, mm. Russia. You see, the other three are pointing at me. <laughs> yeah. Even if you point that way, it's still pointing somewhere else, but it's always directly, I'm pointing one finger right at you, mm. and the other one is not even going, the thumb is not going right at you, but the other three are pointing right at me. Mm. It said something big, right? Three versus one, democratic mm. principle. Yeah. I lost. You won, because <laughs> I used one finger, three. Because I have done, I could have done three bad things, I have done bad things. But I'm pointing at you, just try to vilify you, to make you look bad, to make you look not so human, to vilify you, to demoralize you. And that is just because of one thing, that these people don't look like us. But the other three there, fingers are pointing at me, basically telling me that you are not fair, because the other three are pointing at you that you are doing three wrong things. Mm -hmm. So. Why do we point at a particular person when we don't know whether we're clean or not, we're good or not, good people inside and outside or not? So can we be just be good in our house? And when we get out outside the, our house, I'll become good in the same manner? Because I don't think these politicians listen to themselves when they talk. Or I do listen to myself when I talk. If you talk trash in the house, Exactly that how you talk trash in public. If you talk trash in front of your family, exactly that how you're going to talk trash in, in public. So the family will define you. If you try to be really nice to your family, you're a family man or a family woman, and you love your family, then you should, that love should reflect you outside in the public. What makes us think that the public life and, and personal life are so different? They're not different. They're not different. So be good at home, be good in public. If you're bad in public, you're bad at home. So that's what we should be pointing our fingers. We know these people that are not bad at home. That's why they behave like this in public. They have no, they talk behind the doors. They, for example, I'm here in your beautiful house having a nice coffee, you're chilling. Well, if you talk behind me when I left, I'll say, ha, ah, that black idiot, whatever it is. My, whatever you say to me here, you're smiling, or I was smiling here, it doesn't matter. If Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you go and smile outside, uh, it doesn't matter. If you go and see me outside in public and try to give me a hug, be my friend. Because you already, your, your soul is already corrupted. It's not good. Your soul is already dirty. Because you, if you meant what you said, said it, and that is how you meant what you, that is exactly what uh, exempl- uh, exempl- uh, exemplified you from other people. You'd be bad, be bad. I guess it would, if it's okay, I mean, you wrote yeah. about it in the book, if it's yeah. okay to talk yeah. about. Everyone's done things in their life that, you know, they'll think back to and go, oh, that's right, I did that. Mm. And they'll flinch sometimes, the thoughts are, are mm. bad. Considering what happened to you when you were a kid, the mm. stuff that happened to you that was beyond your control, mm. what can you tell people about what you've learned about how it is to go through life? And I'm like, I don't even know where do you start. Do you do you try and uh, live your life differently because of this? Do you try and keep these things in mind? Do you forget them? Do you push them out of your mind? What do you what do you do? Oh yes, uh, I'm my own punching bag. Oh really? <laughs> That's what I. Yeah, my own punching bag. Um, look, uh, what I what I actually learn from all these things, and I mean learn, is that I don't like to do to do mistake twice. Okay. You get one chance only if you get it wrong for the first time. And then don't do it again mm-hmm. for the second time. Your lux will run out because just once, one off, and then move on, move on. I love to move on with my life because there's nothing pretty about my my past, and there are things that I look back. I would say, I wish I've done this. I wish. I've done this, which I have done that, but I didn't have an opportunity to have such a witches. I didn't have any opportunity to actually have such a witch and make that witch come true. I wasn't able to make those decisions. Everything was made for me. Decisions mm. were made for me. And life, to me, was just living by those decisions. And that was it. And when I come here, came to Australia, I look at those situations, look back, and there was nothing pretty. So I decided to utilize those uh, skills, uh, the valuable skill that I have learned, and I learned to move forward. I don't like to wish that uh, something, any mistake that I have done, mm-hmm. Uh, I could reverse. I couldn't, couldn't turn back the time. I could not turn back the time. 
neither should you, neither should anyone. And if we move forward, we have to move forward with a clear, uh, conscious, guided um, ideas. When you're guided by those ideas and they good for humanity, only when they're good or for human being, then you have no problem of regret because I don't like to regret because I will be consumed by those energy and my energies should be directed somewhere else where I could make a bit of difference, a bit of effort, be able to, uh, to let the people that have given me opportunity, uh, let them at least have a smile on their face and say, oh, at least I've done something, I did something good. And, and, and then you can thank them and say, thank you for your effort, for everything that you have done for me. That's all you, you give them. That's all you give them. And somebody can be very happy and s smiling about it. But they have done you great justice. They have given you life. And the only thing they want is to say thank you. So you don't get thank you if you keep, uh, uh, let me pick a word, screwing up or mislead yourself or mislead others. You don't get second chance. You don't have opportunity. Mm. You will never have that because you will live your life regretting every step that you took, including good, the good thing that you did because they will no longer be good because anything that is bad that you do and you translate that into something good later is almost like saying that's money laundry. That idea is laundry. Because first were crooked ideas and then they took you there and then you go and polish them up, to clean uh -huh. them up and now you're on a platform where you can say, yes, I'm good, I can repay my debt back to the society. Mm -hmm. What good did you do to the society in the first place? If you want to come and clean up your conscience and be able to say, yes, I'm now good, I'm a good guy, now I've changed. You didn't change. You're just in a position of power to be able to, to, to cement your feet, to flourish your ideas, which already in, in, infected other people. Mm. It could be infect, infectious. And that is a problem. So everything, when I say it, I, all everything that I did in my past, I did them with no regret because I didn't make those decisions. It's now when I'm making decisions, and that's what matters most. Mm -hmm. And I have no regret in making any decision. Yet that is the very moment where I live in, and I just try to look forward. Yeah. And, um, and look forward to have a family of my own, be able to teach my child about the world at large. Yeah. I, I don't want to teach them uh, something that is not worldly. They want to learn everything. They will learn every culture. Yeah. If they have capacity, they will learn every language in the world. If they get ability to do that, yeah. they will be able to learn every aspect of humanity, their origins, uh, and how they should actually protect the world they live in, including environment, which is I'm um, quite uh, uh, passionate about. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and, and uh, climate change, which are good realistic thing because we got to look at the future of our children. Yeah, and you got to have uh, some sort of a beautiful mind, beautiful mind, to be able to say, well, I want my children to do something in the future for issues of crime against humanity, issues of disease eradication of other diseases, such as HIV AIDS, issues of, of war, issues of nuclear weapons, issues of, of threats, issues of uh, universal health care, whatever it is mm. people want. They, I want my children to think something further to, to do for, for other humankind, other people, other brothers and sisters. Yeah. I want them to be friends with your child. I want them that. I don't want to deny them that opportunity. I would never do that. So it starts there, and I won't see my child be able to talk about Australia only mm. because you will be concerned or she will be concerned about Africa, You'll be concerned about America, concerned about Europe, concerned about China, concerned about everything that is around, mm. around, around him or her because that is the world they're going to live in. And that toxics will still will spill one day, and if it spill, the part of the same cause. World War One, everyone was in it. Mm. World War Two, everyone was in it. But there were other wars that were fought before that mm. that we don't know. There's wars going on right now. Yeah, everyone is in it. Yeah. So we should all be aware of everything that we are part of it, and be able to try to prevent before it happens. And that is required a greater, uh, greater uh, freedom, mm. a greater freedom, freedom of ideas, free ideas, free ideas to flow. That's what benefit human mm. beings. It's nothing else. It's only ideas, beautiful ideas, that what brought us this far. But the bad ideas, it, what happened in Hiroshima, wiped off the whole population. Yeah, yeah uh, Nagasaki. Not a good idea. That bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> yep. And ideas like uh, that man. Genius, genius, but uh, evil genius. Um, Michel Klaichenkov, the man that invented AK-47. He invented a weapon that killed billion people, murder billion people, and it's and the numbers are increasing. Most efficient weapon of self-destruction, but it benefits financially. Financially, great. Everybody, ever power mongols. Leaders, traitors, and dictators, they'll happen at that very moment. But when he was on his grave, about to die, he had the most beautiful idea. He said, I wish I invented a lone mower, not a K-47. <laughs> That's when he was dying. Wow. That is a witch that we were talking about before. Yeah. So a man that have done so much bad. He just wish now you want to do something good. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I tried to think about what he said, and I don't want to wish that I was him one day when I'm dying. I just said, just like Ned Kelly said, such is life. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> such is life because I, you don't have regrets yeah. about that. So I don't know if Ned Kelly, when he said such is life, he was regretting what he did. <laughs> uh, he was... Please to go. 
It was a, it was an it was an interesting cat. Okay? <laughs> I've only been to the smallest smallest part of Africa. I've only been to the the south. I've only been to South Africa. Yeah, and the bit on the very edge, and then the bit on the other edge when I was up in Morocco. Mate, right. how can you? Go, you have done your best. <laughs> Africa, there's so much problem restricting people to travel to Africa. So what would you want? Because when people turn on the TV, or more and more when people look online and mm. they see Africa, they see conflict. Um, Yet a lot of people see Africa and they see this emerging nation after emerging nation mm. with nothing but opportunity. What would you want people to know about Africa? Uh, well, well, as Australian, first, let me pre-warn you. Uh, Africa has been in conflict for long, for years and years, and the conflict hasn't stopped. It's everywhere. And everyone should be careful about their safety in general in terms mm -hmm. of places where they travel because uh, it was 2014, that's when my brother, that the man that smuggled me and brought me to Australia, who was killed. It was in August recently, that when my village was burned down. And all these issues, they're quite real, they're not, they're not, um, they're not um, imaginary. And of course, an incident involving few French that were Australian that were working in the United Nations compound recently. And what happened to them is quite horrific, it's not good. But because it's because of war, our people, especially South Sudanese, we're the warmest people. We warm, we welcome everyone. We don't have that problem, but now we have a conflict that is affecting everyone. It's rooted in misunderstanding about who we are, miseducation. If two tribes, brothers and sisters, speak exactly the same language, bleed together, same ancestors, just pick up a weapon and fight against each other, killing one another. I'm talking about Dinka and Nwer. They are my ancestors. We all have the same bloodline. But they have been killing each other for nothing, other than a seed of presidents and leadership. And nobody ever stand back and say, hold on, let these two guys, if they want to become president, let them govern themselves alone, leave them to govern themselves. And let's look at ourselves as a people. Let them rule themselves. Let's see how they're going to run the country. Because why do you kill people? You want people to, you want to rule people, therefore you don't kill people that you want to rule. You must have people in order for you to rule. But when you clean out people, how do you expect yourself to rule? What are you ruling? That is a problem. So South Sudan, other countries, Central Africa, Republic, Sudan, the old hot uh, conflict area, Somali, beautiful country. Used to be the most beautiful country. Had the beautiful bananas in the world. Look at it. What have we done to ourselves? Here, Richard. The Ethiopia, the great, great nation. Look at ourselves, all this conflict. Why do we do that? Why do we get ourselves that far? It's because we still got a problem of knowing ourselves. We've got to know ourselves and we've got to return to love one another. I'm, I'm not trying to be soft when I say that because anyone can be hard. But when you're hard, really, what are you going to get out of it? A violence as a solution? 
well, that's not part of my, uh, it's not gonna be in my resume. Uh, in, in, from now, uh, from the time I step here, it's not gonna be in my resume. My resume will say different things about my life. And it's a piece that we want. And let me tell you, South Sudan, it's a beautiful country. So beautiful, you can see Nile. That's Nile start from Numili and it flow all the way to Egypt. And the beautiful grassland, animals. I think it was 2008 or something in the BBC, BBC report. So the biggest animal migration ever in the world ever took place in South Sudan. That's wildlife that need to be protected. But because of war, the wildlife are not protected. They are being poached. And because also they are foreign business machineries, uh, such as a recent woman that was caught in, 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 in a thing in Central Africa, uh, I think it was none in Mozambique, but she nearly killed 60,000 uh, elephants in Mozambique. She goes there and buys ivory. And people are poor. Government are cor corrupt because they don't have a system of uh, supporting themselves, so therefore the corruption is mechanism. So the foreigners are pouring in there, helping this corrupt nation to feed their appetite, and their appetite are actually to clean up the wildlife, the beautiful elephants. Most of them are actually going, they're facing extinction. And if you, for 40 years, 30 years, in doing business of cutting ivory, from an elephant, from specifically from Africa, and you feed a billion population in China, how many animals have you killed? She's a psychopath, that woman. That, yeah, she's a psychopath, that's the definition of psychopath. Yeah. If you wiped out thousands of wildlife for ivory, for a jury, mm. then you are defined as a psychopath, and you, if you got caught, you should be locked up. More stuff that you can't take with you. Yeah. So More stuff look at you can't take with you. Thing. Yeah. yeah. You got antelope. You got all these beautiful animals. I, I when I used to be kids, I used to play with baboon, baboon. And when the war came, came to South Sudan, I tell you what, we ran. The baboon start to run away from people. First, people start eating baboon, eating them, mm. and they now know that they are at risk. And do you know that actually baboon? Every time you pick up your gun or try to kill him. Baboon actually beg like a human being. Really? I swear to God. They beg like a human being. Even if they had a baby and they know, they know that you try to shoot them, they beg, they beg at you like a human being with their hand palm open. Mm. And because no food, you still gotta shoot that baboon and, and eat. What, how far? did we win as human beings? Mm. Went too far. Went too far. I think we just, you know, sometimes laughable to say, uh, to see people in public say, oh, these people are animals. Oh, the bloody animal. I beg your pardon. Animals are actually more sweeter than human beings in terms of how they he, he treat each other. We're the cruelest. Have you ever seen lion killing and uh, one lion killing two giraffes at the same time? It will just kill a giraffe, eat when it's full, and then it goes away. And other scavengers will come and eat and feed on the same animal. It's not a mass killing. It's just that 
That's all he won and moved on. Is the lion better than me when I shoot two giraffes? One of them I just eat them, dry the meat, save it for tomorrow, sell some to, 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 for my appetite, for, not, uh, for something that is not necessity, such as food. It becomes pleasure. A pleasure, a pleasure is a driving force. I'm not saying people should uh, deny themselves a pleasure, but you got to understand at what cost. Mm. Yeah, at, is that cost involved life, destruction of the environment, or species, or other things that are important to us? I'm not a scientist, but we are actually in a bad, 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 um, bad, um, we are in a bad situation in this world. We are. Where does, um, and I know this does play a part in your story, mm. where does water come into this thing? Water. Well, my understanding of my ancestors' history is this. We came out of water. We came out of water from the Nile. That's where we came out. Water is important to us. And when we come out with water, from the water, we came with a bull or a cow as well. That were two things that were given by God to a dinka man. So we treasure wildlife such as animal, cow that give us milk, and cow that give us meat. We use cow for dowry. And we use it we use their skin. We don't throw skin. We use skin as um uh, as a, a clothing that we use, that we use it for other drum, we use it for everything. Uh, environmentally, we are actually we are the best environmental environmentalists, likewise. But the issue of water came at a colonial period when British was uh, ruling Egypt and ruling Sudan. So it was Anglo-Egyptian Sudan at that time. So what they did, they did some sort of um, uh, a butter trade. A butter trade they did was that the Swiss Canal uh, is now going to be used by England in that period. And they will have a right to use it and they will have other, other negotiations that they have done it. And in order for them, for British to have a right of the Swiss Canal and then British will give Exclusive right. I mean, uh, they signed a treaty that uh, Egypt, 1923 agreement, something like that. I don't remember top of my head. That the British, uh, they, that the Egypt has a right, only country that can make a decision about the water of the Nile. That agreement is still enforceable today, and Egypt tried to enforce it. And we don't have a problem with uh, Egypt getting water. Now, because the water just flow naturally. It's what they do, what they're going to do with the water. So 85, uh, I believe, 85, they start to build a canal, that uh, canal, a tribute in South Sudan, actually in my hometown of Bor. And again, it become my sister-in-law village. That's mm -hmm. where it originated. That's where they start to build a canal. And canal was to divert the water or drain the water from the swamp, because we'll get the biggest swamp in the world, mm -hmm. and try to increase water. They, I don't know, they're measuring cubic, I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. billions of cubic water. 
to try to increase the Egyptian consumption of water in expense of what? Oh, nomadic tribes that lived on land, grazing, and uh, when it is dry season, we go to a swamp and stay on the other side of the swamp. These are nomadic tribes that their livelihood is based on water and cattle. And if the swamp was to be drained off, what would happen to those people? It's almost like a genocide mm. that was nearly going to be carried out by, this, uh, by the regime at the time. And um, successfully, we destroyed the, canal, the machine. Uh, Dr. John, I mean, South Sudan destroyed the, the machine and it saved actually life. And that is one of the, one of the main reasons, one of, one of the many reasons, but is one important reason for Dr. John Gallant to took arm and went to war because of that machine. And today they still try to negotiate it and they try to use the same force or type of violence. And, um, and to me, violence is not a standoff, it's not a, it's not a standard that should be utilized now by a people, a country, or a nation that call themselves civilized. If you are civilized, why do you like violence? Because the one that is civilized is the one that makes a sharp weapon. And is one that pick up a gun and quickly try to throw at you. That is one that is civilized. That has advanced technology. For what? To civilize the uncivilized. I mean, using violence, whatever the effect of it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother them. It's about them. Mm. About them, about themselves. Not about us. Mm. Not about others, it's about us, just us. So that is a critical point. That's why water became important to me. Water, environment, is quite important to me. And the water from the Nile, it can be used to, to, to actually make sure that um, everyone in the world can have a clean water. I, I even believe that the water should be free. Nobody should buy water. It's life. So Egypt, it's not, uh, nobody is going to stop Egypt from using water because you're not human in thinking twice about trying to make sure that these people die without water. You're not, you're, not, you're not in that category. So the water should remain naturally the way it is because now it be natural like that. But it wasn't natural. It was actually different, but it was uh, mm. redesigned to flow different, to change the course of the Nile. But like I said, water... It, it, everyone need clear, clean access to the uh, clean water. Need access to clean water. Should be free. Should not be any. And it should be rights among the rights. You given. I mean, for those who believe in God, it's God-given rights. And nobody should be deprived of that of water. And that is important. It's a necessity. And no one, even Ethiopia or Sudan or South Sudan, should actually think twice uh, about depriving Egypt from having water. But Egypt should not be greedy, equally greedy, to deprive other people from, from drinking clean water mm. because it's an equal right, given right. It's like there's people in Australia that are listening to you, I'm sure, right now. It's like, what do you mean? Water comes out of the tap. What do you mean? You know, it's, it's, it might be difficult for some people to try to comprehend that the water that comes out of the tap 
is, I mean, we have so much clean water, we shit in it, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, Matt, that's crazy. I was quite happy that when a government decided to actually stop people cleaning, their, washing their car during the day yeah. with water, yeah. and people were like, oh, yeah, my car is dirty. Who cares about the object? Water is life. Yeah. And we need to be able to use yeah. the water properly. And, and, and that's why I say the, 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 the government, uh, the state government, when they were fighting over uh, Maori, uh, river, Mara, Mara, darling, mm. river, water. I was like, no, no, we don't want that. No. We want to make sure that this water is sustained properly. A proper sustainability studies need to be carried out yeah. because it's our lifeline. And you've seen what happens when water is yeah. scarce. Yeah. Uh, one day you switch up water, everybody will go to war because it's life. You could stay without food for a while, not water. I remember we, we drank piss when we were in the army because you don't have water. Just soften your, your, your tongue. Because the first part of, your, of you that came off your head is your tongue. It starts to crack. You can't even move your jaw. It is a serious, serious problem. You'd rather be hungry than be thirsty. You die in a minute. Your body cracks in a minute. It's precious thing we do have water in this country and we need to save it mm -hmm. we don't know what the environment will do will do in the next we don't know 10 years 15 years we don't know so we got to be able to be careful about the water yeah. so my my interest in the water is simply uh, i am a son of a fisherman my father was a fisherman and he was a, a farmer banana farm and a corn corn farm well you need water to be able to carry that forward. And even though I'm in Australia, there are people in this, in my village, my relatives, that need water to do, to carry out these activities. So why do we have to compete about the water? We shouldn't have competition. It's something that we should, all must have adequate, plenty of water. And it should continue, we should, must have water continuously for the rest of our life, because that's, that's what it is. Yeah. It shouldn't be cut off. When you finished uh, high school here in Australia, you went to, univer you went mm. to university. I, I couldn't, couldn't get into university when I finished high school. I'm, you know, I, I, so you obviously did very well. <laughs> you did better than me. <laughs> no, um, no, no, not close. Oh, come on, man. You didn't buy that, mate. No, yeah, no, just no. give me a chance to go in there. No, no, no. You, but you went, you've gone ahead and you've you become a lawyer. Why? Why choose law? I actually didn't. I didn't went to high school here. I went to TAFE. I did my English course and those English preparation um, uh, courses. And then I did, uh, I did accounting, advanced mm -hmm. diploma in accounting at TAFE. And worked for about nearly eight months with Maris Youth Care. At the time, Mary Youth Care, they, they, they were ho the host us. They, they help us settle in this country. They, yeah, you, you can't uh, forget that. And plus, my, my sponsor, Bob, Bob Harrison, used to work for Mary Youth Care. So it was just like a, I, I was in the right, right place. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't a good accountant. Seriously, I was crap. I was terrible. I can't even do a balance sheet, hard pass the course. But even with no, no experience, 
in my belt for that period, I'll still make the same mistake over again. Just numbers. Mm. You could miss a dollar or 20 cents, become annoyed about it because mm. it can't balance. You got to find something to balance. And <laughs> I don't like balancing things. <laughs> I don't like to balance things up. My life is not balanced. I, I just do what, what comes. Yeah. So I decided not to do accounting and not to pursue accounting. And what else? And my brother and my cousin, uh, Philip Akau. Uh, Philip, we grew up together. Uh, he's my uncle from my mother's side. And I have so much respect for my uncle's side. That respect uh, and his advice is always wise. But because uh, he's my uncle, his advice were always more important than my brother's advice. Because your uncle always have, this is our culture, your uncles always have a good intention for you. Mm -hmm. Your mother's brother or your mother's uh, sister, your auntie, mm. they always had a good intention for you, no mm. matter what. It's irreplaceable. These two are irreplaceable. So I always take his advice as irreplaceable advice. And because I wanted to do science and then say, no, you do law. And I say, why? And then say, well, uh, my brother was cheeky. He said, look, the people that make decisions about the water, about, about the environment, they're all lawyers and they're politicians. So just try to do law. And that's how I actually did it. It was not, I didn't have any idea. I don't even know what it was. I start, you know, when you apply, make the application in. I didn't even know what I was doing. And a lot of people are in the same position, a lot of students, they don't know what they want to do even when they enroll in a subject. Two years later, three years later, they change their mind. And I was in, on the same boat. But my uncle's instinct and his guided wisdom um, put me there. And I trusted him. And that's why, why I mm -hmm. got into law. And everything else, it just happened yeah. as natural. You like it? It's hard. It's hard. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, it is quite hard, emotionally draining, psychologically uh, harmful, uh, because you, you, we acquire a lot of problems from other clients. Mm -hmm. you, if somebody is grieving or your client is going to jail, or your client losing a child or losing a property, you got in the same, you are in the same shoe as that client. You can't simply say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll protect myself from these, these, uh, these issues, these psychological issues, these realistic issues, this fear of somebody going to jail, this fear of injustice, this fear, it's always affect us. I don't think any lawyer would say that he's not affected. It's never been affected by their client. And we try to say, oh, try to be professional and try to divorce your mind from those things. How could you do it? You were not talking to an object. You were speaking to a human being. So it would be a lie to say that uh, our client's emotion or our client's suffering uh, is not reflected on us at all. It's always there. I feel it on a daily basis. And it's quite, quite... Uh, hurting and knowing that I do have my own issues, it becomes almost like a double, 
double warming. Yeah, uh, become a double uh, become a double punch uh, punching bag in yeah. general. And of course, I'm on my own punching bag. That's what I <laughs> say. Don't don't but don't be your own punching bag, man. You got to have to. You got to be careful because yeah, at the end of the day, when you lie in bed at night, you're just there with yourself, man. And who's going to protect you from you? So, oh yeah, I'm not scared for me now. I used to be scared for me. Yeah, <laughs> I used to. I used to. Yes, I used to. But no, not anymore. I. So how does it make you feel when you you know you watch on the TV and there's politicians here in Australia who are preaching fear about anyone that's not white or anyone that comes from another country? How does it make you feel? Um, well, politics is a it's a different game. I don't know. I'm not a politician yet. I'm not a politician <laughs> at all. I'm not in that. Categories, uh, but what I always know about our politician, most of them they want to do what is right, what is best for their electorate, for the people that uh, put them there. And remember, it's democracy. It's about a popular vote. But if you deep, deep, deeply think about these these people, some of them are great people, but they are carrying out uh, carrying out uh, policies of the party. Party is an object. No party. Have you ever seen a party going to jail? No. Have you ever seen a party getting punished and uh, be stripped up for wrongdoing? Look at this. A lot of scandal that a lot of parties did. Have the party been scandalized? up? No, it's not. Because everything that we do and then we say we're doing for an object, we're doing for a party, it means that you're not doing it for the people. You're doing it for your party. Because he'd be doing it for the people, and then I don't know, because our prime ministers, the prime ministers that I, 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 I when I first came here, the first prime minister was John Howard, and then followed by Rat and Rat Julia Gillard, and I think it was. Um, we've had five, we've had in the, five in the last three years. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> another funny bit, too. And I like to. I like to tell everyone that you keep anyone that we elected them until they finish their term and go for re-election, don't do a coup. Because I will not support you when you do a coup because you're not my prime minister. You're prime minister of the party. But my prime minister is the one that I elected mm -hmm. to be my prime minister. And I want them, I want to actually make sure that these my prime minister in the next election will not be my prime minister if he didn't do anything that I said. Because it's, it's not good. It doesn't look good. It makes the work incomplete. Mm -hmm. It makes the work of the next prime minister that is coming up a bit harder. Mm. Because they have to pick up something new, new policies. they come got to come with new policies. Mm. But the previous policies may not be carried out. It's a dis a disruptive. To, 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 the, to the good governance at all. It doesn't give somebody a comfort zone, a plan for four years, a four-year plan. Mm. Why do you interrupt that? So sometimes you just kill off the beauty of ideas that were flowing because of internal conflict within a party. So we don't want that. We just want the country to be, be cool, be governed by the one that we elected, 
mm. not the one that we didn't elect. And, and that is, a, that's not cool, you know? That's not cool, that's my opinion, that's not cool. I just like to elect somebody and keep him there or keep her there, yeah. and then I kick her out. <laughs> mm. yeah. So that's what we do as a nation, we should just kick that person out after we finish with them, they finish their terms. Yeah. And next election, we'll make a decision about it. Yeah. Not the midpoint, not even when they didn't even do, did any work. Yeah, it does. It is, it is annoying. It's when I do everything. Yeah, because nothing happens. Um, I'm just uh, aware that I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. You've been through, like reading, reading your book, mm-hmm. as anyone would read your book. I mean, um, I have a friend who uh, she's from Uganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, she used to, we used to live, share a house together. And, um, you know, so I was reminded a lot of her story when she escaped in 78. Uh-huh. Oh, guess oh, what? By Idi Amin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Idi Amin was, it was actually Sudanese, by the way. Oh, he was? Yeah, hey, Sudanese. <laughs> Sudanese. And he terrified, he terrified Ugandan yeah. there. Oh, it's hor- <laughs> horrible. Well, I've, so I've, I've spent some time with her family. They went up to live in Canada. Um, I spent time with her family and, the, the, you know, so I, I know what going, well, I don't know. It's never happened to me, but... I've seen firsthand with one of my dear friends, you know, what living with this stuff. And late at night, yeah. we'd drink a bit, back when I was drinking, and she would tell me stories that I would shit my pants. I was so scared. All right. I was reading this book. I was reminded of a lot of things my friend told me about. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of darkness, all right, that you have seen. Yeah. So what makes you happy now? What makes me happy is just to see... A child smile. Children, see my nephew or my nieces. Just be able to smile. Not to be able to... Uh, not to be worried about what they, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to eat, when the next bomb is about to drop. Not to worry about where they're going to get water or their iPhone or Samsung Galaxy. Be able to know that they have all these things. Not to worry about hospital, emergency ambulance, the police, triple O cove, which is just right there in the palm of your hand, being able to have all these things in my hand and be able to make the right decision at the right moment. That's what makes me happy because I'm not, I'm, I'm just now myself. I, I am able to make wise decisions about where to sleep or where to work. Let me just tell you this crazy example. When we were coming from Bor, my hometown, and we were going to Juba, South Sudan, we didn't have a plane to go, a jet, there was none. So we decided to use a, uh, a road. The road was muddy. It was really muddy. You're talking about a mud in South Sudan. We knew, I knew that it can happen, but we decided to leave by car. Uh, three days earlier, on the same road, we know that people were killed on the same road and it's unsafe, nobody traveled. But we decided to go. On our way, on Juba Bo Road, not even, not even halfway, we got stuck in the mud. We couldn't get out. It was getting dark. We were scared, but we were lucky because there were another truck that stuck there and there were people there. So we paid them a bit of money and they helped us push the car out and off we go. The first thing that came into my head that minute was that 
I'm not going to slip in this car. If it get dark, I'm going to find a place on the top of the tree, a distant way, and sleep there until morning. And then I come back and during the, when, when it is daylight. I told Ben that because that's the safest place you can be. If you are in a car, you're dead. But all in my mind at that very moment is I'm entertaining the possibilities of me being dead in, in that car. And of course, if it did happen, we were just dead bodies. But we were lucky. But I knew that I have a plan B in my mind. And plan B was simply my instinct. You can't sleep in a car. But a band would say, no, 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 we've got to sleep in a car. It's a safe place to be. Not safe. Not even safe for, for a lion or a cheetah. Or a lion, of course, would smash that car. Not safe for a thief, not safe for a bullet. No, not safe for anything. But a distance away, on the top of the tree, is safe because lion won't go, won't climb up, won't climb up. Some of them jump to a short tree, but won't climb up. So all these things, I have them in my mind because I think something that would make me happy is to be able to continuously be able to help my nephew and my nieces, be able to know their dad, their family, their friends, be able to live in this country, protect it. Because if I'm not here, I don't, I don't think the, uh, there will be anybody there to guide them. And that's why it's important that I smile because I'm alive. I smile because I'm happy. I smile because I know I got a purpose and that is important. I got a purpose for being alive. And if anyone doesn't know that simple message, and then let me just tell you, find a purpose, something worthwhile that you can do. And thing that will make you happy, you find the you find that you find those in the purpose. And I've always said that the beautiful things that I always look upon share it with me is to be able to enjoy what is called justice. It is the greatest thing present and one can can receive. It's a greatest prize that the judges that sit in the courtroom are able to give to somebody. That is the greatest prize. It's not the money. Lawyers are broke. Let me tell you, a lot of lawyers are broke. But we're not completely uh, broke because we got a prize, a justice. And that's what we should always aspire to do, be able to as uh, and aspire to make sure that it is done properly. And that is always, would be our, uh, my message to almost every other lawyer, because that is what we aspire to do. And justice should be the only present that we can always strive for. And we all be happy, that's a smile. That's it. Dang, I could, talk, I could talk to you all day, man. But uh, I'm afraid I'm sure you've got to go. I ran out of coffee. <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for coming around today. No problem at all. I'm really grateful you could share your story with me, man. Mate, great. Share a coffee with you. Oh, no, you didn't have coffee. <laughs> I've had enough coffee uh, today. I don't anymore. I'm just going to take your photo real quick, okay? No problem. Okay, thanks, man. That was Deng Adut. You can uh, follow him on Instagram. It's uh, just his name, at D-E-N-G-A-D-U-T. His new book is called Songs of a War Boy. Buy it wherever you buy books. Uh, I can't thank him enough for coming around, particularly after the week 
that happened in the US, um, hearing him talk about the incredible, his incredible truth, and the listening to the astonishment and joy in his heart, in his eyes, when he's like, look, in the palm of our hand, we can make a phone call and an ambulance will come and save you. Like, it really helped me reality check how lucky we are to be in the country of Australia. I mean, if you're listening to this, I guess no matter where in the world you are, if you're listening to this, you've got internet access. Well, someone very close to you has internet access. And 50% of you have a smartphone, an Apple smartphone, half of you at least. So already, we're already ahead. Ahead of so many people in this world have so little. I mean, you hear Dang talking about that. It was all a, it was all about water. Water. Let's be thankful for all that we have this week, shall we? How's that for a, a clue? And while we can't change the world, we can't change the world around us. I guess i got a challenge for you this week, because I'm going to try it some more. And I'm terrified of strangers, so this one's a scary one for me. How about you and me this week, we find a way to meet a neighbour we haven't met yet. Whether it's bringing some mail in or just saying hi if we see him outside or I don't know walking over with some muffins we just baked and say hey I baked an extra one I thought you might like one because I know what happened the other day with that tree in the front yard it helped me feel less alone it helped me feel a little less worried about the world and I thought hey this guy's a right guy I'm going to invite him and his girlfriend up to have dinner and you know what I might even make a new friend it's like the opening (laughs) song of the Degrassi Junior High TV show. Why did that pop into my head? All right, I've got to go. Uh, I've got to go pick up a little girl from her, her very social Saturday night and there's a sleepover at my place tonight, so it's on, man. Thanks so much to Andy Ma for producing the show. Thanks Toe Hider for the music. Until we speak next time, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this show. Without you, I have no show without this show. It's just not as much fun doing what I do. So thank you for letting me do this every week. I love you. Take care of yourselves. Say hi to your neighbours. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.